There's some wonderful things going on in Franklin, which is really, really exciting. Makes me sad to leave, um, but I also feel like there's uh, so many good things happening and a really, really great foundation set at um, kind of a critical point in time. Uh, this is a, a bit of a, um, a bit of a turning point, so to speak, where there's some pretty significant uh, policy matters. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet at WFPR.FM and on the local Franklin Mass area dial at 102.9. Here today with an in-person session, although it's the last one in this role. I don't like to say last or final because who knows what the future will hold, but current superintendent, soon to be former superintendent of Franklin School, Sarah Hearn. Sarah, thank you for doing this. Oh, my pleasure, Steve. It's nice to be here and it's nice to be in person after what, two years now of having periodic episodes uh, on Zoom. On Zoom, staying in the, in the window, you know. I appreciate the relationship we've had over time. I appreciate your openness to have these sessions and especially in the challenging times that you've had. Clearly, when you came here, what, five, six years ago, nobody had pandemic on the radar at that point. And, yeah. No, it would have been five years ago, and I remember that summer, um, you were one of the early people that I met with as part of my transition plan. I think you had reached out yeah. as a community-based resource uh, related to communications. Mm -hmm. uh, you had provided me with some insight and feedback on the current status of school district communications. Um, we've made some changes since then. We overhauled our website. We started to put out a district newsletter. Um, it certainly, our communication strategy has evolved over time, especially with the addition of a communications personnel yes. uh, person. Um, yep. And uh, and I really appreciate all of your perspective and insight over the years to help with that and help us adapt because it really is an ever-changing field and we have to make sure that we're um, taking advantage of all the resources we can to get our message out. Right, because yeah, not everybody respectfully will attend and or watch school committee meetings. They are exciting. There is a lot of goodness there, for sure, especially as you highlight the various you know, programs, uh, most recently the eighth grade curriculum. Uh, those were fascinating to watch, and that's just one. <laughs> I, there's a bunch of others that over the years you've highlighted and had the opportunity to do so. That was just happened to be the most recent one. The most recent school committee meeting was completely amazing with all of the highlights that were shared. Um, we also had uh, students uh, from our unified basketball team having right. recently won right. the gold at yep. the Olympics in Florida, the Special Olympics. So they attended. We had um, service dogs, both the Ben Franklin therapy dog from the Franklin Police yep. Department and Eddie from the Norfolk, Norfolk Sheriff. County Sheriff uh, mm -hmm. attending the meeting and then the civics highlights from the eighth graders. That's a presentation that the school committee has been um, asking for uh, for two years now. Last year was kind of the initial uh, pilot, so to speak, of the eighth grade civics projects and this right. was in its second year and uh, the students are doing some really, really wonderful work to bring all sorts of issues to light through public service announcements and uh, other awareness campaigns. Yeah, I think that 
will, and I'm sure you'll do something in Barnesville similar to that because that was a state initiative. This is how it's being done here in Franklin. But I think just the concept, especially having the middle school, and generally with any project, there's some parental involvement. So to the extent that there's those conversations, then the parents, if they haven't already been involved, their eyes and ears should be opened a little bit in terms of, ooh, this, this is good because ultimately we need, from a community perspective, that type of civic engagement mm -hmm. around the right matters. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a good process going forward. So we just develop to see how it continues to go. Yeah, and the students will have an opportunity to uh, revisit those civics projects when they get to high school mm -hmm. as juniors because there's right. a civics component to that curriculum or pick up something new. Um, but either way, students are really learning some of those um, principles of civic engagement and ways to make a difference in their own community. Yeah, yeah and then certainly at the high school for those in particular in the high school in, re in recent experience, it has evolved as well, but the clubs and the activities from the clubs has just become that much more mm -hmm. um, impactful, I think, to the community. People mm -hmm. are much more aware of, um, and clearly in some cases it was kind of a so-called a bad incident that may have brought it up, but then the schools were able to respond appropriately with the right people, the right people at the table to bring it together. Um, and then now one of the other things going back to the last meeting, they're going to have a science club. Mm -hmm. to potentially bring in a science fair, which mm -hmm. we've never had, so mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong about that. There are amazing things happening, and I understand not everybody can watch the school committee meetings, but we do try to publicize this through the newsletters, mm -hmm. and um, we have our social media feeds, too, to share um, these positive stories. There are some wonderful things going on in Franklin, which is really, really exciting. Yeah. makes me sad to leave. Um, but I also feel like there's uh, so many good things happening and a really, really great foundation set at um, kind of a critical point in time. Uh, this is a, a bit of a, um, a bit of a turning point, so to speak, where there's some pretty significant uh, policy matters that the school committee will be taking up in the next couple of years. Yeah, and you've already had, at least from an administration perspective, I know you're leaving Lucas with a handful of both principals and central admin and uh, high school athletic director. You've had a bunch of changes that yeah. you've been able to at least, from a closure perspective, at least see some things done before moving on. Yeah, there's been, um, there's been some turnover among uh, the administrative team. Uh, it is not anything that I think anybody should be nervous about no. or worried about. I think it's reflective of what's going on in a lot of fields. People are rethinking um, their personal lives. They are relocating to different mm -hmm. parts of the country, um, and so you know all of these um, all of these departures. They, they don't really reflect anything about Franklin, but more um, you know kind of natural things are happening. Retirements are happening. So um, there has been some turnover, but we've had some great hiring um, this spring. It's been a lot of work, but uh, like you said, we've got some good. Great new people coming on board, including the athletic director. Um, Lucas Jagir is taking uh, my spot here. He's been mm -hmm. the assistant superintendent for four years, and um, had been in the district uh, prior to that. Uh, after you know, there was a brief period of time where he was principal in Bellingham uh, at the high school there, but he has been in Franklin for a long time otherwise. And um, I think we'll we'll do tremendous work in the role. We've hired a couple of principals and assistant principals as well, um, and I think it's really going to be a great team um, to lead the district uh, going forward. Um, 
and uh, so I, again I think there's a really good foundation mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like um, I'm leaving the district in good hands yes and in many cases or at least from what I understand from your story you came here anticipating being here for a long time in certain circumstances advisable in particular which I think you had ultimately desired truly to end up back closer to home now that happened along with everything else that was happening along the way too it did it did I did intend to be in Franklin for longer um, which is hard you know um, mm -hmm. it's sort of like a an unwritten chapter in the book um, and I would have would have loved to have stayed um, but my own you know circumstances uh, came up such that Barnstable presented an opportunity and um, my stepdaughters are one has left high school and one has one more year left. Mm -hmm. My mother-in-law moved down to the Cape um, during the pandemic. We spend a lot of time with her. Sure. Um, and Jay's working from home um, almost full-time. He goes in the office one day a week. So that really changed some of our dynamics as sure. well and created, um, and then with the vacancy in Barnstable, created some opportunities for us. Yeah, by all means. Can't always dictate the timing. No, no, you're just... In some cases, you're hopeful. You don't know how, when it's going to happen, but if it does, and the opportunity's there, yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've had the opportunity in my corporate career to switch to different places, and you look back and it's like, how did that happen? It was like <laughs> zigzags. It was not a direct straight line. That's for sure. It yeah, just, it yeah. happens along the way. It does. It does. But I think Franklin's a wonderful community, and um, I will miss. I miss you all. For sure. Yeah, we'll miss you too. But as you've said, I think where it's still a place to be, it still has a lot of good things. We've got good people going forward. But I think you'll still be keeping track because there's a couple of key pieces that I think are still going to be open that yeah. you kind of started. To a certain extent, you at least got the portrait of the graduate, which I think was one of your, I would think, one of your key accomplishments to get uh, done in time. Because um, yep. that yep. certainly sets the foundation for a lot of the operational pieces as well as educational pieces as well. Absolutely. So um, people have asked, what are you the most proud of? And I think I am the most proud of the portrait of a graduate and mm -hmm. the process that we went through to bring together thousands of data points across Franklin. Um, whether it was um, faculty and staff who work in buildings or students and their families, elected officials, community members. You know, all sorts of uh, people coming together to identify what the critical skills that we uh, desire for our graduates. And, and now, fast forward a couple years later, um, we're seeing that play out in the classroom. Mm -hmm. The best example is um, we have senior projects at the end of the year where student, students do internships with various uh, businesses or uh, employ, employment organizations, including schools. And part of their presentation that they're required to do is to speak to how their uh, senior project prepared them in some capacity related to one or more of the skills uh, that the Portrait of a Graduate speaks to. Mm -hmm. um, so it might be in terms of communication or creativity. Uh, it could be around uh, listening uh, with with an eye towards multiple perspectives. Right. And so, um, so it's just really rewarding to hear the students make those connections and be thinking about what they're doing in school and how it relates to their futures. Um, and that's happening across all grades, pre-K mm -hmm. through 12 plus. Sure. You know, the portrait of a graduate is um, kind of driving instructional decisions, um, the resources that we, um, that we put in place, um, 
whether they're material resources or they are personnel resources, um, it has been uh, kind of a vision and a, and a driving force. Um, so that'll stay in place and continue to, um, to deepen in terms of the work, um, which is uh, really important to make sure that kids have the skills that they need going forward. Um, and it is definitely something that I'm, that I'm really proud of. Um, the, uh, the district does feel like it's a, at a bit of a turning point in terms of some other things that I had, mm -hmm. uh, had a hand in. Um, the biggest thing in my mind is probably um, what's going on with the space needs study and uh, a facilities assessment. Uh, the school committee has had a subcommittee uh, working on this for the past couple of months with the idea that I would share as much background information as I could um, based on the study that we did when the Davis Thayer Elementary School was being examined um, and we were looking at space across our K-8 buildings. Um, as you know, um, the school committee um, redistricted, no, I shouldn't say redistricted, had moved students from Davis Thayer to Keller Elementary School this mm -hmm. first year. Right and um, has recently voted to um, declare the building a surplus, so to speak, and no longer needed for school purposes. Um, the study that was undertaken we, at the time um, with the demographer and with the architect kind of identified um, space utilization across K-8 and identified some potential opportunities. Um, right now we have um, Keller, which is a pretty uh, you, it, it's pretty full if you look at it from just the Keller <coughs> footprint. Yeah. Um, Keller and Annie Sullivan, if uh, some of the complexes used uh, disproportionately to, um, to, for, for the education of the Keller students, uh, that, that evens out a bit. Um, but, you know, our enrollment has changed a lot in the past. Right. For a while I was <coughs> saying decade, but it goes be, if it goes beyond that, mm -hmm. um, the, the enrollment has changed a lot. And like in what, 2009 or 10 or something like that? Something like that, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, it was somewhere around 6,200, 6,300 at that time, right. and now we're at about 4,800. Right. And the only modulars, which at, at one point all the elementaries had at a minimum of four modulars added to it. I think the only ones that exist are still at Kennedy. Kennedy still has four modulars there, um, and they are using them, um, but all the other modulars have been taken down. Um, so we don't want to create a situation where things are too crowded and we need to go to modulars again. Um, but the school committee will be taking a look at space, space needs, space utilization mm -hmm. across the district with an eye towards um, potential redistricting. And also um, the architect's report did point out that um, the Parmenter School and the Kennedy School are both um, older in terms right. of when they were originally built. Mm -hmm. um, there's been some renovations and additions, um, but the architect did point out a potential um, building project uh, at the element elementary level in the future. So, um, so that's also kind of on the radar screen over the next several years for the school committee to be to be thinking about and working with uh, the superintendent and other uh, members of that team. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's just it's a big turning point in that um, 20 years ago, the current footprint of how students navigate through the system um, with the elementary schools to three middle schools to one high school kind of was put into place. Right. Um, but there's some opportunities to, 
to be thinking about what is the um, best way, mm -hmm. um, you know, first and foremost, I hope, from an educational lens, what is most developmentally appropriate and educationally yeah. sound, uh, and then financially feasible as well. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Education first, which I think from a Portugal graduate, we now have the structure, not to the nth degree, because some of the other degree will change as things go over time, but the ultimate principles in regards to the capabilities that the students have, that's there, and then how do we deliver that through and I think one of the other pieces that particularly got added in this last redo of the analysis, because between the McKibben demographics and the Castle Blues facility piece, the special ed programs that you've been growing intentionally because it saves money for Franklin as opposed to an outplacement, those space needs are different from, quote, an average, if there's an average classroom per se these days. Yeah, I I think that's a really important point to emphasize um, and and needs to be taken in, into consideration and um, some of the audience may be thinking about, uh, well, if you've got 24 students, they can go into one space and mm -hmm. that it's kind of a mathematical formula and to a certain extent it is, um, but our specialized programs, which were designed to respond to specific student needs, mm -hmm. um, cohorting the students, having them be in a group of like peers, and being able to continue to educate them in their home environment um, has so many benefits. Um, it benefits uh, the students educationally, uh, it benefits their peers educationally sure. in terms of uh, what we see around um, just the beliefs and values that, that people have around inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, uh, to your point around you know financially, uh, we we do operate these programs uh, at a cost that is less than p potentially an out-of-district tuition. So um, we're really proud of the programs and the quality of education, um, but they do require additional space. Mm -hmm. um, typically, you're talking about um, smaller class size ratios, smaller number of students uh, within a classroom, and um, you know, more adults within that room. They may um, have um, sensory rooms or occupational therapy rooms, motor rooms, um, calming spaces. And so, uh, so that's going to impact the building differently than a lot of folks may think. Mm -hmm. um, and so the capacity of a building is gonna look different nowadays than it did 20 years right. ago. Right, Because for the listeners, whether it was their fathers or their grandfathers, grandparents, child classrooms, they're totally different than not that right. Right. Um, And I think to your point, not just saving on transportation, saving on outplacement, but to the extent that a student with an IEP, it's not necessarily a permanent placement within the IEP. A lot of students will, quote, grow out of those and come back in. So that transition of coming from kind of the special program into the normal classroom even if they were in just inclusion for some of the specific programs, but then ultimately they just slip right back into it and they've already been in the building. So those transition pieces are much easier to make. It creates a what's I think intentional around a continuum of services. And so depending upon the student and their individualized needs, we're able to tailor really to that, which um, I think is the strength. And um, and yeah, some of those transitions can be, um, or are smoother because they've been in the building, they have relationships with mm -hmm. people, we can really support them. Right. Um, 
and we can really support them. So, uh, there, but there are space ramifications to that. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and, and I think even going forward, uh, the programs have expanded within the past couple of years. Um, the programs are different than when Castle Booz did their original assessment yeah, back right, in 2019, right. 2020. Which was pre-COVID as well. And it was pre-COVID. <laughs> so all of the data and numbers, I think, are helpful to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. We don't have any new standards from MSBA around which to make a comparison. Um, but walking through the buildings, the the feel and the use of them is different because we've got more counselors, so we've got more individualized counseling spaces. We have more interventionists, so we have more small groups of students needing places uh, to meet and work together and uh, work on uh, work on some skills. Mm -hmm. um, and so, our, it, and then just from a health perspective, I think everybody's used to being a little farther apart from each right, other. Right. And so, uh, so. Yeah, we're, we're using space differently, and I think we'll probably continue. Certainly, the, out of the portrait of graduating, the kind of the space needs, there's there something else that you spend some time. Lucas, these are things you're going to need to watch for. Not that you wouldn't already know, but what are the things on your uh, transition plan, at least from your advice to him? Yeah, so I think. Um, Budget is always one of the things sure. that I think you would um, want to make sure that somebody's uh, pretty well versed in and has lots mm -hmm. of information about going forward. Um, you know, fortunately, Miriam Goodman, our school business administrator, is yes. so strong and has been here for quite some time, so yep. she's got a lot of institutional history. Um, and so, just making sure that um, you know the budget's in, in a good place, and it mm -hmm. and it is. Um, I've said this before. Um, you know, the school department budget. We've been uh, really, I think, well supported through the pandemic by the state. They uh, shored up um, uh, state aid to schools back in uh, 2020 when we thought we would get and see an enormous cut. Mm -hmm. um, we, we were expecting and bracing for that uh, because the pandemic was, you know, resulting in uh, a, a loss of revenue. Um, but the state really kind of shored up state funding at that time and um, has since been really very supportive of, of schools through the state funding. Mm -hmm. um, the Student Opportunity Act is implemented. Um, they're looking at um, $60 uh, minimum per pupil aid uh, in addition to, so that's the additional aid that we would see per pupil, $60. Historically, that's been um, $25. The Student Opportunity Act made it $30, mm -hmm. and now they're recognizing, um, you know, post-COVID. Not that we're post-COVID, but as we emerge from the pandemic, that an adequate education is even more expensive than right. it had been, and so um, they're they're supporting us uh, in that way um, as they kind of come to resolution on this final state budget for next mm -hmm. year, both the House and the Senate have talked about $60 minimum aid per pupil. Shoring up circuit breaker um, has been has been important. And then um, the relief funding, I think we've put to very good use mm -hmm. uh, to support students, um, you know, particularly in terms of social emotional well-being as well as their academics. Um, so I think, you know, FY23 um, is, uh, is I think we're in good shape. I think we'll be in good shape for FY24 at some point. Mm -hmm. um, at some point, there, uh, 
there is, um, you know, going to be no more external funding from the state and federal government and the same structural budget deficit that was in place uh, before, before uh, will, will be again. And yeah. so um, preparing for that and, and kind of talking with Lucas about, um, about some, some thoughts there. Um, but again, there's um, some, some possibility too with the redistricting and all of that. Um, you might be able to gain something from a savings perspective there. There, there certainly TV could be. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of variables for, sure. for them to examine. Yep. Um, yep. But, but there may be some there may be some things that that are helpful in the mm -hmm. long run financially. Yeah, and I was hearing through um, Senate President Karen Spilka spoke to a business group in Boston this morning, and she was reaffirming her commitment to keeping the Student Opportunity Act. Funded, uh, funding on track because mm -hmm. it was a multi-year program to get it funded. Um, she was touting additional funding for mental health, et cetera, which mm -hmm. some of that affects certainly the school population as well as the community because clearly coming out of COVID, it certainly raised and exposed some areas that yeah. we knew were problems, but we never really yeah. fully addressed. And yeah. now as a country, a state, and community, we're forced to address those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the mental health is a big one. Um, I think it. we certainly would have characterized um, increasing concerns. Some people may have called it a mental health crisis mm -hmm. um, developing prior to the pandemic right. for adolescents, sure. um, and it's only compounded and magnified now. Yeah. yeah. It's really the safe coalition and their work in that space, but whether it's opioid or just general mental health, depending on how you want to slice it and approach it. It's, they've been a good collaborator working with both school and town um, in providing services to the community as well. Oh, they absolutely have. Um, and in really impactful ways um, you know, at our high school, what I'm thinking about in terms of, uh, you know, in addition to the parent education component mm -hmm. and running things like um, the the bedroom space hidden in plain sight. Hidden I couldn't remember the name sight. of it. Sure. Uh, hidden in plain sight, where um, parents and community members can see, you know, the ways in which these products can be hidden within a child's bedroom. Um, so we've appreciated their uh, partnering with us on those education components, um, but then also working with students who end up with a discipline situation as mm -hmm. a result of substance use right. um, and substance abuse and recognizing that you can't just punish addiction out of a child no. and so I think we're we're most pleased to have them as a partner uh, with you know alternatives to school suspension that gets kids the treatment that they need uh, in order to in a long-term way um, not have that you know same mm -hmm. infraction happen and right. to overall be healthier lot of opportunity there and that's one of the other clubs, the peer-to-peer -peer club that they have um, does work in that area as well. Yeah. So even on a student-led basis, mm -hmm. that's helpful. Mm -hmm. So you're bringing the chapter of your period here to a close. You've got another day or two and you take some time off before you hit the ground running, literally, in the, in the new role. Yes, yes, so I'll start in Barnstable July 1st. Uh, I do plan on taking a couple of days off. Um, it's hard, uh, because just like I'm trying to transition mm -hmm. uh, and, and provide some support and um, 
you know, have things be tied up and wrapped up for, for Lucas here. Uh, a similar transition has been happening in Barnstable right. with me uh, spending increasing amounts of time in the district um, and uh, attending their most recent school committee meeting, for mm -hmm. example, and right. their town budget hearing, which fortunately was the week after ours, so there were no, there no, were no conflicts, conflicts there. I could go to no both. Um, but it's been it's been a busy spring in mm -hmm. that regard. Um, you know, Barnstable in many ways is a similar district, uh, about the same size, uh, about the same number of school buildings, slightly different uh, structure to how how the buildings are set up. Mm -hmm. The uh, elementaries are K to three, for example, and. There's one four to five school and one six to seven school, and the high school is oh, eight okay. through twelve. Right, so it's right. so the structure Definitely. is a little bit different, yeah. um, but but many uh, many similarities. The governance structure is similar with a town council uh, form of government and mm -hmm. a town manager, um, but also some differences. Uh, the population of the town is um, much larger, um, both year round and then seasonally. It grows mm -hmm. exponentially. Sure. So that's a different dynamic, yeah. and um, there's a lot of competition for students between school choice, uh, charter schools, and private schools, as well as homeschool. So mm -hmm. there's a, a lot of competition, so that's a little bit of a different environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've been seeing a huge shift in terms of their demographics. Um, we have certainly seen that here, too, right. um, but theirs is kind of magnified um, with especially an increase in the number of English learners right. uh, in the past five years or yeah. so. Um, I'm very much looking forward to um, being in Barnstable. The people, similar to the people in Franklin, um, are kind, warm, welcoming, and very, very committed and dedicated. Mm -hmm. um, so it feels, um, it feels like a really nice place to be. Uh, I will miss Franklin, uh, but I am also looking forward to the next chapter. Yeah. Well, we wish you well. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Any other final comments uh, as we close out? Uh, and I hate to say the last time, as I said before, because our paths will cross at some point. Who knows? I, I think even in some of the playoff structures, the black, the brackets, I've seen Barcelona versus Franklin at yes. some point. So that'll add a little. Uh, more to the yes, there was <laughs> there was a big Barnstable Franklin volleyball game in the fall, mm -hmm. uh, so there may be uh, yet again another athletic competition. Sure. Uh, but I, you know, Deca and other yeah. other There's competitions multi multifaceted too. fronts <laughs> opportunities for paths to intersect. Uh, no, I would just uh, reflect uh, kind of in closing when I joined um, Franklin, an administrator who was here just said so earnestly um, and looked me right in the eyes and said Franklin is a really, really special place. And um, I have certainly felt that uh, repeatedly over the past five years. And so um, it's, it is bittersweet. It's really hard to mm -hmm. leave. Um, they'll tell you around here in the office that I'm having a hard time letting some things go. <laughs> I have not just completely checked out. Uh -huh. um, yeah. But it's it's because I um, I care about Franklin so very sure. much and I yeah. am invested um, emotionally and personally in the future success uh, in Franklin and mm -hmm. the Franklin students and I just I look forward to hearing more and more about mm -hmm. how things are developing uh, for Franklin kids because it really is a special place. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm sure you'll also be able to keep aware of things, uh, continue to tap into Franklin Matters and uh, other sources, because certainly the TV, radio, broadcast, and 
be available on YouTube. I'm sure there might be some conflict somewhere where you won't be able to watch them live, nor may have the time and focus to do so, but that's fine. You'll be able to keep aware. And, um, I'm sure if people have a need to reach out, they'll be able to find a way to, uh, oh, where's that? Yes, <laughs> yes. And my contact information, I think, will be all like, public on the website, and mm -hmm. people can reach out if they need to. Right, indeed. <laughs> Well, thank you for taking time to reflect and share, and best wishes thank for you. the future. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Same to you. And for the listeners, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008 and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.